0: All right. You are here. Um, I need to know how many of you are here today? All right, that's good. I always love asking that question. A few of you are like, well, um, I'll think about it yeah it's great to be here with you Uh, we are in uh, kind of nearing the end of our series called you are here and the point of this series has been to kind of examine what it looks like to be a christ centered follower and what we mean is we want to be a church filled with people who move from being people who are apart from christ to find life in christ until we become what we call christ-centered followers and what that means is that as you go and work in the jobs you have and volunteer in the places you volunteer and shop at the stores you shop at and hang out with the family that you are stuck with and all of those great things, that Christ informs the way you live. Christ-centered people learn that we, we learn to think the way Jesus thinks. We learn to live and interact with the world the way Jesus lived and interacted in our world. And so we want to be a church filled with people who are moving from a life apart from Christ to a life that represents and reflects the character of Jesus in all of our walks of life. And so that's what we want to do. Why we're saying you are here is because we want to move from wherever we are towards Christ-centered living. And we believe that none of you have arrived yet at a fully Christ-centered life. If you have, as we like to say, you're probably in heaven and you're perfected. (laughs) So if you're with us, you're not perfected yet. So that's okay. That's good news. And that's good for us because that means I always have a job. And that also means that I'm in this process with you learning to be Christ-centered as well. And so that's the whole point of this series. Now, we started off and the first one we looked at uh, what it meant to present ourselves as living sacrifices, from there, we went on and said to be Christ-centered, we need to transform the way we think and, and renew our minds as we orient our lives around Scripture and through prayer. Then we talked about how we learn to live as a, a posture of a servant, just serving others instead of being self-focused to be uh, others-focused is the way we live. We went on from there and said, okay, also to be Christ-centered, we need to learn how to love one another and exist with one another which is not always easy. And then we went from there, and last week we talked about how do we interact with the time, the talents, and resources that God has blessed us with as Christ-centered people, as we see the world the way Jesus sees the world. How do we interact with the stuff that God has blessed us with? Now this week, we're talking about as Christ-centered people, what do we do with this message of hope that comes from Jesus? How do Christ-centered people bring this message of Jesus to the world around us because we believe that as followers of Christ we are called to share this good news with others. I believe that it's news that can actually change the world. I believe that you have the ability to change the world. Every one of you in here can change the world just like Albert McCacken did. I mean, You guys know Albert McCacken, right? How he changed the world. I mean, Oh, I mean, so he kind of really had a big part in change's role. He, Albert McCacken was a farmer in North Carolina, and and one day one of the guys, uh, one of the kids of the farmer, he was actually kicked out of his youth group and said, "You're way too worldly." So this kid that was uh, Albert was a farmhand on this farm, and, and the son of the farmer was said, "Hey, you're way too worldly. You can't even go to church anymore. The church doesn't want you." And Albert saw potential in this kid and said, "You know." I, got, you just need to, I, I, I think that if you really understood the message of Jesus, you could find hope. So Albert took this, this uh, kid, the son of the farmer, and they went to a, a revival that night. You know, kind of a good old-fashioned revival. And it was there that Billy Graham accepted Christ for the very first time. And went on to preach the gospel to, they believe, in person. It's over 200 million people in person. That's not including television. Because Albert McCacken saw hope for this kid who didn't even belong in church. I believe that every one of us in here can change the world. Maybe we will not be the ones preaching to 200 million people. But you can change one life that maybe will change another. And that's how the the Bible is set up. Now, some of you are here today and you say, well, Ryan, I am not called... To evangelism. I don't have the gift of evangelist. evangelism. I don't want anything to do with it. Some of you say, hey, I'm not called to be a missionary. I'm not going to bring the gospel to some remote village somewhere. So you say, so can I just sleep through this today? But for you today, I want you to know that you are called to be evangelists. See, a brief biblical history of evangelism is this. God creates humans, and the very first thing he tells us, to be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. In other words, I want you to represent my character to the ends of the earth. And that is the very first call of evangelism. See, evangelism is a word that essentially means to bring good news. An evangelist is a messenger who brings good news. And as we live and exist and represent the character of God to other people, would you agree, and you don't have to right now out loud, but I hope you, many of you would agree that if we live the way God has instructed us to live and we represent His character, a God of mercy and grace, a God of love, that that is good news. I know it's good news for me. So as we represent Christ who embodied all of, the, of God's commands in the flesh, we represent Him to the world, that's good news. That's being an evangelist. We're bringing a message of hope to people. So the very first command ever given to humans was, go be evangelists. Fill the earth and represent who I am. Scatter and represent and make my name great. Now the good thing is, that was in Genesis chapter 1. By Genesis chapter 11, you know what mankind did? They said, hey, let's build this tower. And let's gather around the tower. We're going to build a big tower so that we don't scatter. And let's make our name great. See, it just took 10 chapters for humans to say, yeah, 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 God wants us to scatter and make his name great, but let's gather and make our name great. Wouldn't that be fun? And God said, okay, no, you guys don't get it. So what does he do? Confuses their language and scatters them. (laughs) No, I want you to scatter. Then the whole history of Scripture is a pattern of God calling people and saying, you're here to represent me to the ends of the earth. Jesus reiterates those commands. One of the last things we have in his earthly ministry, he says in Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 and 20, go into all the earth and make disciples of all the nations. In other words, you now are learning what it means to be like me. Disciple just means student, and students were to become like their teacher. Now you go and help others understand how to be like me. In other words, go scatter and fill the earth representing my name. He reminds us that in Acts chapter 1, we read it again, verse 7 and 8. He says, be my witnesses, in other words, represent me to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. So scripture has this continual pattern of saying why we exist is to represent God where? Everywhere. Now, for those of you here this morning who think, do I have to scatter from Encinitas? from North San Diego County? The answer is for some of you, maybe. <laughs> some of you may be called to mission someday to actually leave here and go to a, a foreign land. We know some of you for sure are because some of you are planning on doing that. There may be some youth here today who say, that is what I feel called to do. Some of you may be later in life say, I'm called to do that. That's great. But God has already scattered us as people. And for us today, if you're not called to actually go out You're still called to represent God's name where you are now. You're part of this. And so today I don't want you to enter in thinking, okay, this is about evangelism so I can tune out. But the question we want to answer today is not should we participate, but how do we do that? Because I don't know about you, but I, I don't feel like I have the gift of standing on a corner and making it make sense to people ...of why they should listen to me, tell them about Jesus. I sometimes struggle with people I know trying to explain to them why they should follow Jesus. Even good friends. So the question for us today is, how can we live our lives in a way that the way I like to call it is create goodwill for the good news. Creating opportunities for people to hear the hope that we have. Now, if you are here with us this morning, you say, hey, I'm not a follower of Jesus... Are you talking about your strategy to reach me? And the answer is yes. We are. And we're not ashamed of the fact that we believe that we've discovered something that gives us hope. That gives us a reason to believe. Gives us a reason to live. We're living for something. A life that has changed us. If you are here this morning and say, well, I don't believe. We can't wait for you to have that opportunity to see the hope that many of us in this room have discovered. So don't be offended that we're talking about how can we live in a way that makes you want to hear our message. We want you to hear our message because we believe that Jesus has a power to change lives still today. The message we heard earlier when we saw Shirley's story reminds us that Jesus still changes lives today. I'm part of a group of people that believe that the God of the Bible is the same God. The power that God had in the Bible exists today, and I'm excited when I think about what he can do. So I hope you are too, and that's where we're going today, so pray with me. God, we thank you for this time. I thank you even for this idea of evangelism, of bringing good news. God, I know for many of us it kind of brings some anxiety of, how could we talk about you to others? But God, I pray this morning that we'd learn to trust that you're actually in control of what happens there, that you're the ones who change hearts, not us. We're just called to reflect your name, to communicate it when we're able, to share this good news that we've received. And So I pray this morning, God, that you challenge each of us, including myself, and help us to represent your name to the ends of the earth and to bring this great message to each life that we interact with. We give you this time. Amen. It was a unique day in this town. It was a great town. It was a town that was a tourist destination. A town that had great wealth. A lot of government officials and business leaders had extra homes in this town. It was a place that you would go to relax in the wintertime. It was a great place to be from, to live in. And one of the people in this town, he was one of the most well known and wealthiest people there. He kind of oversaw a lot of the commerce and the money that kind of came and went, and he was employed by the government, but had some side businesses and had great wealth. So this day in this town was a really unique day, and he couldn't help inside to have a little bit of excitement and a little bit of anxiety. You see, because in this town this day, the rumor was that there would be a visitor. The visitor was making his way down, and this visitor was known as a rabbi, a great teacher. Rumors had it that this rabbi could be the Messiah that his whole country was waiting for. It could be God in flesh coming to visit their town. You see, the difficult thing about that was, even though this man was a Jewish man, And this would be his Messiah. He was told by his own people that he didn't belong with them. That his very occupation made him unclean and he was not accepted even in the local synagogues. He was told that he wasn't one of them anymore. His great wealth that he attained through being a chief tax collector was something that not only made him hated by his own people, but it made him hated by everyone except for maybe the Roman authorities that he was able to filter money to. But this day in this town, the Messiah was coming. There was a little bit of fear inside as he thought, what would the Son of God, if this is truly Him, what will He say when He sees me? A tax collector. Will He condemn me to death here on the spot? And so there was fear about what would happen. Will he incite the crowds and will the crowds turn against me and all the other Roman officials in this town? Is this the end? Yet even with that, inside, there was a little hint of excitement. There was something that he couldn't explain that said, but if this is the Messiah, could this be hope that I've been looking for? And the crowds began to swell and he heard the sounds coming from down the street. Indeed, Jesus and his disciples had arrived. Passover was in a few weeks. Spirituality was in the air. Everyone was thinking about hope and a new uh, being delivered from the Roman people. Here comes Jesus. If he is the Messiah, everyone was excited. And as he came down the street and the street's filled with people, our chief tax collector Avoided the crowds as he was in the habit of doing. He heard the rumors of tax collectors being murdered in crowds. They were being killed by people by this group that later became known as the Zealots. In fact, one of Jesus' own disciples was part of this group of people that were known to kill government officials from time to time. So he avoided the crowds. But he had to see. He wanted to get a glimpse of this possible Messiah. He climbs up a tree to get a better look down the road. And he sees off in the distance, here comes the rabbi. He looks like a normal person, but something about him seemed different. Seemed different that day. And as Zacchaeus saw him, he couldn't help but to think, what what will this guy think of me? I mean, my name, Zacchaeus, means one who is clean, yet he and all of his people and the people around me tell me I am unclean. This doesn't make sense, but here comes the Messiah. And Zacchaeus has one of those awkward moments. You know when you catch eyes with someone across the room? You're looking at them. You kind of want to check them out and they look up and see you and they know you were looking at them. So you quickly look away, hoping they didn't notice. He has one of those moments and thinks, ah, oh, hopefully Jesus didn't notice me staring at him. And he kind of looks away and pretends that nothing's happening until he hears it. He hears his name. Zacchaeus. In this moment, his name The irony of his name couldn't have been stronger. Zacchaeus, one who is clean, uttered from the words of the Messiah. Yet I'm Zacchaeus, one who is unclean. One who is a tax collector. I've cheated people out of their money. And the Messiah says, Zacchaeus, one who is clean. Come down. When he first hears his name, he tries to ignore it. But the second time, he looks and Jesus is staring right at him. Zacchaeus, come down. Come here. I'm coming to your house. I'm going to be your guest today. One who is unclean, you get to host the Son of God, the Savior of the world. Zacchaeus jumped out of his tree. He runs up to him. At this point, he can't even explain what he feels inside. He can't explain what's going on. Something just came alive in him. All of his thoughts about who he is are now erased in the face of the Son of God staring at him face to face. For the first time in a very long time, he feels like he can be accepted. For the first time in a very long time, he feels like there's hope. Oh, the crowds, they didn't feel the same. The crowds started grumbling and saying, Are you kidding me? Jesus, he says he's the Messiah and he's going to go and be a guest of a sinner. He's going to go hang out in a house. I mean, that's a high honor he's given to this guy. This guy is a swindler. He's a sinner. Are you kidding me? He's going to go hang out with him. Maybe this isn't the Messiah we want. Meantime, Zacchaeus is saying, Everything that I have ever stolen from anyone, I will repay. I want to change. And Jesus looks at him and says, Zacchaeus, one who is clean, today salvation has come to your house. Today salvation is here with you. Zacchaeus, I don't care about your past. It's over. You're accepted. And then he utters this, so the crowds can hear, for the Son of Man, which was a term that meant Messiah, has come to seek and save that which is lost. The Messiah didn't come to hang out with the religious elite and make them feel better about who they were. He came to seek and save that which was lost. The story in Luke chapter 19, the story of a life that is radically transformed. Every time I hear it, I can't think, I can't help but to think isn't that great? Look at this amazing thing that Jesus did here. How can we be like that? And I think we now if we're called to be like Jesus, who are the Zacchaeuses in our lives? Who are the people who are walking around and we say unclean, unclean, sinner, not deserving, not worthy of God's love? Who are those people? Who are the Zacchaeuses that we can be Jesus to? Because we've all been Zacchaeus. In fact, some of us feel like Zacchaeus quite often, don't we? (laughs) It's so great to hear our Savior utter to us, One who is clean in me. You're forgiven. So how can we interact with the Zacchaeuses in our world? Today... We're going to look in Romans chapter 12, and I invite you to open up there. We've been going through the study in Romans chapter 12. And today as we look at just a few short verses here, beginning in verse 14, I, I, I want to propose a few ideas. These are ideas of the types of ways that we can interact with the Zacchaeuses in our world, the way that Jesus did. You see, because Jesus there, Zacchaeus' life wasn't transformed because Jesus had a great sermon. Do you notice that? What did Jesus say? He said, hey, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house today. Now that's a great evangelistic message, isn't it? (laughs) I think I could say that. So today, what do we learn from the life of Jesus that will help us with the Zacchaeus in our world. Pick it up in Romans chapter 12. and We're going to pick it up in verse 14. And you're going to have to bear with me because we're going to read these verses and you say, this doesn't fit. What do you mean? But look at these. He says this, Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. See, the first idea that I think we find in this passage, in Romans chapter 12, Paul has been giving us ideas of what it looks like to be a Christ-centered follower of Jesus. And he just got through this passage of how we should interact with other Christians and now he turns the attention to those who maybe do not follow and have the same beliefs. And the first things he says, is, bless those who persecute, weep with those who weep and rejoice with those who rejoice. The idea I think we find here is the first one there in your notes and it says, live in a way that you are aware So be aware of the world around you and be fully present in the moments. Let me explain. Be aware of those around you. Understand what's going on in their lives. One thing I love about Shirley's story that we we heard earlier today was she wasn't looking for Jesus. She was going through some pretty tough times and faced a series of tragedies in her life and she was just looking for something and she got on the phone with someone she didn't mean to get on the phone with and that person said, hey, it sounds like you could use someone just to hang out with. Why don't you come and sit with me at church? And and then he said, hey, you have a couple kids in junior high and high school. Why don't you come and hang out with us at the beach with some other junior hires and high schoolers? She wasn't looking for Jesus. She was looking for someone who could weep with those who weep. He said, right now, it sounds like what you need is someone just to be with you. I'll be with you. Wow, isn't that a great lesson in evangelism? <laughs> See, we think we need to be Billy Graham, but sometimes we need to be someone on the phone who says, hey, why don't you come and sit with me? You look like you need someone to sit with. He says, rejoice with those who rejoice. Do you celebrate the victories in other people's lives around you? You know, we live in a world with social media where people love themselves. (laughs) And and, and we can't help it. It's the world we're in, right? But let's admit, how many of us, you don't have to raise your hands, but, you know, we kind of like when we have a lot of likes on a picture. We kind of like when it's our birthday and we get 45 people we haven't seen in 20 years say happy birthday, right? We love that. You post a cool Instagram photo and you get a bunch of likes. You're like, yeah. We have a world where we like to be noticed and be liked. It's just a world we're in. And those of you who aren't smiling, come on, confess. <laughs> oh, I don't do Facebook and Instagram, but I have 500 connections on LinkedIn. Yeah. We all have it. You know what? The people in your world love themselves too. <laughs> One of the great ways that you can be present in the world is to acknowledge, hey, you had a kid? Congratulations. You got a promotion? Great. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Do you know how much credibility that gives you with other people when you care about what they care about? Don't be disingenuous about it, though. Don't be like, oh, great, nice promotion. (laughs) But if you genuinely care about people, rejoice with them. Even if it's something you want but you didn't get, you can still rejoice with them. It tells them, hey, I am present and aware of your world, and I know for you that matters. So for me, that matters. Great job. Congratulations. When I used to work in management for Starbucks, one of the things that we always told our hourly partners was be aware of what happens with your customers and ask them the next day. Oh, yesterday you said you're going to your kid's baseball game. Did he win? You know why we did that? So they would come back and buy coffee from us tomorrow and the next day. We wanted their money. <laughs> Guess what they did when we asked them? They came back the next day. They'd bring their kid and say, here's my kid who won. I'm going to buy him a hot chocolate. Sweet, another $1.50. <laughs> People care when you care about them. You see, but we're not, we don't want their money. We don't want something that doesn't matter. We want them to know the Savior of the world. Care about them. Rejoice with people who rejoice. Weep when they weep. Sometimes people just need you to be there with them. Be aware. I've been loved that. Bless those who persecute you. Um, Earlier this year, I was, uh, I'm was. i coaching baseball, and, and our team's doing pretty well, and so at first it's fine, but then when you keep winning, the other teams start hating you. Um, <laughs> and so it's a, it's a nice position to be in to be hated. And so... But, but literally there was this other coach who, who was a good team and, and we were beating them quite handily and he just start, he was just complaining the whole game to the umps and then he turned it and started yelling at me. And I'm not sure why, but really started yelling at me like I was the problem and my team was mean and, and all we care about is, you know, beating him. And I thought, no, I don't, but now I do. Um <laughs> But it said all these things. At the moment, I had a great, a really great dialogue. I had great things to say to him. It would have been wonderful. And at the time, I just looked and went, ah, you know, fine, and, and just stayed there and, and didn't say anything. And then, you know, next inning, went back out and, and acted as if it didn't happen. And after the game, shook hands. And the nice thing was, is, is later that day, we ran into each other, and he came up to me and said, Hey, I, I'm, I need to apologize. I'm so sorry. It was just the heat of the moment. You see, at the time, I had great things to say to him, but I was thinking, I know what competition does too. And I know that there's times I say things I don't mean to say, but I'm just getting excited. But it, when we're living aware and thinking, I don't think this is who he really is. I'm aware right now of the situation. I want to be present in his life. I didn't turn around and say, bless you for persecuting me. I will. I love you. <laughs> But just by ignoring him and not feeding it and giving him an opportunity to later, let's make it right. And he said, I hope you won't hold this against me. I said, of course not. Of course not. When we live aware, we can also even understand when someone persecutes us, so, so-called persecutes us, when we can aware, be aware and say, what is the real issue here? It opens up doors to be heard. As we continue on in Romans chapter 12, Pick it up in verse 16. It says this, Be of the same mind towards one another. Do not be haughty in mind, which means be, don't be prideful, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. I love that one. Never pay back evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all people. These are great instructions right there. Second point there, I'd say when we want to create opportunities to be heard with the good news, I would say remember whose opinion matters. How much of our life do we live worrying about making sure people think more highly of us than they should? (laughs) Do you know when I hear someone say like, oh, all you care about is winning, the first thing in my mind is, "Well, well, you don't understand me. And all of a sudden I want to go and give him all the reasons why he should think more highly of me. And I forget that in the end, it's God's, I need to live before the Lord. And his opinion, unless I'm being a jerk, his opinion doesn't matter. But if I'm doing what's right, <laughs> now if I'm being a jerk, then it, I need to change my behavior. That's a different story. But that's why Paul says, as far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. In other words, as much as you can do about it, the way you live and interact, be at peace. If people choose to interact with you with hatred and they undeserved, you can't change that. But also, don't go fighting battles that don't matter. Sometimes we fight for our own reputation so much that we lose sight on what really matters. I think in Proverbs chapter 16, verse 7, I love the instruction here, or the, the wisdom. He says, if a man's ways please the Lord, it causes even his enemies to live at peace with him. You know, when we live for the Lord and we try to do what's right, even those who have a problem with you eventually come back and live at peace. In, in general. <laughs> not always, but usually. See, when we start living, say, God, I want to live to please you. I want to live the way you've instructed. I'm not going to worry about all these other opinions. It gives us an opportunity for credibility. Now, let me share a little superficial example from my own life where I Failed with this in, in another way. Thinking more highly of myself than I ought to. And, and it's one where I wasn't intentionally thinking this way, but it was all the way back when I was in seminary. So I just graduated from college, and now I'm in seminary working my grad deg- degree. I even shared this story with some of you before. But in one of my theology classes, there was this classmate who was a peer about the same age. And this classmate had just... Some serious kind of, um, lots of bumps and pimples and all kinds of things all over his body. Now, I had no problem with him, super smart guy. He dressed kind of awkward, he talked kind of awkward, but was brilliant. But I realized with me that there was something inside me that I didn't dislike him at all, but I felt a little uncomfortable around him, and I don't know why. Why? until I recall my life and I realized I probably was thinking more highly of myself. Something about his physical appearance made me think, huh, somehow I felt better than him. Now, I never consciously sat down and say, oh, I'm better than him. At least I'm not this guy. But one day, one of my other friends named Scott, who came into class, I used to play basketball with Scott. He was this tall, just athletic, cool, cool kid. <laughs> he walked up and saw our awkward friend and went to him and said, hey, how are you doing today? And opened up his giant arms and gave him a huge hug. I said, how are you doing, buddy? And I sat next to them in that room thinking, why am I not man enough to do the same? What in me makes me think I'm better, so much better that I can't even be gracious to this fellow seminary student? What the heck is wrong with me? And I realize sometimes I go through life and make judgments on people. And what was it? Did I think the opinions of other people in the class would look at me and say, what's wrong with him? He's so nice. (laughs) We do that kind of stuff all the time, don't we? Oh, I don't want to be seen being nice to that person. Maybe it's not someone who's awkward socially. Maybe it's someone who you don't think fits with Christians shouldn't be saying hi to I 've heard of some people who who live in America today that don't believe in Christianity and live lives different than Christianity. Do you know that there's people here who aren't Christians, and there's people who live lifestyles that some of you are really uncomfortable with, and that's okay because that, that, that's an un, something you're discomfortable, you have discomfort with that's fine. But are you willing to say, "You know what? God loves you too. Are you willing to sit with them and say, "Hey?" How can I care for you? See, because the gospel of Jesus is open to everyone. There's people in this room who have been benefited, who have benefited from this message of Jesus. Some are struggling still to this day. The message belongs to them. How could we think more highly of ourselves that these people don't matter? People struggling with addictions. People struggling with their own uh, sexual identity. People who are going through life wondering, could they ever fit in? People who go through life hopeless, and we think, oh, I, I can't be seen with them. People who are antagonistic to our own faith. Do you think more highly of yourself than you ought? Or are you willing to rejoice with them, to love them. As far as it depends on you, can you be at peace with them the way you live? The next few verses say this. Picking up in verse 19, he says, Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it's written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. If your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him drink. For in doing so, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Now, I know some of you think, oh, great, we get to heap burning coals on someone's head. That's great. And this is most likely an allusion to an Egyptian practice where when people would repent, they would carry this tray of burning coals on their head as a sign of saying, I'm going to turn from from my ways. In other words, the principle here is, as we love those who don't deserve our love, The kindness is the thing that has people change their mind. Vengeance and wrath, and I told you so, and you don't deserve, that never changes anything, does it? Paul reminds us that it's the kindness of God that leads to repentance. If we are His representatives here on earth, that means the kindness of God is displayed through you and through me. If you have an enemy, and maybe you don't have an actual enemy, but maybe you have people who are at odds with you, Those are the ones that Paul says, feed them if they need it. Give them drink if they need it. In other words, be there to meet their needs. Love them. When he says, in doing so, you're going to heap coals on their head, he says, your acts of kindness are the very things that will help their hearts change. Don't worry about vengeance and wrath. That's God's. That's not yours. Could you imagine if God allowed people to take out their wrath on you every time you deserved it, or if God took out his wrath on you every time you deserved it. How many want that? <laughs> Let God be the judge. He says, when you interact with those who are against you, against your faith even, kill them with kindness. Because it's the kindness of God that leads others to repentance. That leads us to Repentance. As we close here today, I'm going to invite the band to make their way up. I want to ask you a few questions here. When you think of your life and the way you interact with others and the way you come and go throughout your days, do you think of yourself as an evangelist? Someone who's bringing the message of good news? Now, some of you actually do have the gift of evangelism. In other words, you're good at explaining that that Jesus Christ is the only hope for their lives. And you, you, some of you are amazing at this. In fact, in a couple weeks from now, beginning May 4th, we uh, are offering a three-week seminar on Sunday mornings at 9 o'clock called Conversing with Confidence. It's for any of us who say, hey, I could use a little help Would I end up, okay, I can love people, I can be nice to people, but wh- what happens when they say, okay, explain this Jesus to me, and then you go, uh, come to church Sunday, <laughs> We're going to have a, a three-week mini-seminar to say, how do we converse with confidence? And even some of the tools that we can have to answer certain questions. I invite you to look out for that beginning May 4th. But apart from that, you're called to be an evangelist. And there are times you need to talk about your faith. But think, let's first begin with how we live creates opportunities to share the hope that we have. Why is it that we sometimes don't do that? Why, what is it that keeps us from wanting people to know about Jesus? What are the things in our lives that keep, hold us back? I know for me sometimes it's when I forget that actually God is sovereign, that He's actually in control. And somehow in my mind I play these games where I think that if I say something, it's, I, I mean, everything's just going to go wrong. <laughs> Or somehow I think in my mind if I talk to someone about Jesus or share this with them that somehow my reputation is going to be ruined, which is ridiculous, right? So sometimes I forget that God is actually in control. Sometimes I forget that God still has a power to change the world. Sometimes I think that God is just satisfied with me going throughout my days, content and happy to myself. Sometimes I forget that he's called me to bear his name to the ends of the earth. Sometimes I forget this, that I'm his plan A. You are plan A. I know, if I was God, you wouldn't be. (laughs) But you are. You are called, you're empowered, you're gifted, you're uniquely positioned exactly where you are in your life to change somebody's world. You are. And our God is able to join with us in that. And you know what? All of heaven rejoices over the Shirley's in the world whose life changes because of you. All of heaven rejoices. So today as we end, here's what we're going to do. We're actually going to end with a song. It's a new song. And I'm going to ask you in just a moment after I pray to stand up. And this song is a proclamation that for me helps me remember that, wait a minute, this is the God who can change the world. And that's a God I believe in and want to follow. And so I'm going to ask you if you want to be a part of this and you say, yes, God, I know this morning I want to. That I'm called to be evangelist, I recognize my role. I recognize I'm going to mess it up. But I want to participate. I want you to stand with me as we pray. So stand up as I pray. And then we're going to proclaim this last song and the truth that we believe. God, we thank you for this morning. I thank you that you have the power to change the world. I thank you that you've called us to do that. I thank you Uh, that you keep calling us even after we've messed that up many times. And I pray this morning, God, that you would receive our proclamation of who you are. We want to live like you are able to move through us. And So God, we give you this time as we end and proclaim who you really are.